this morning. The kids are, are going to be up with us this morning. It's the first Sunday. If you're visiting with us, um, our children have a, an, an age-appropriate uh, teaching time um, every week except the first week. And there's a, there's a reason for that. Um, we want our kids to feel that they're a part of the church, that they're not here to be entertained and, um, and um, amused. And... Um, but rather are part of, um, they're part of what God is doing and part of hearing the scriptures. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but the biggest one is that um, they are part of the church. Um, and as I, I often say, children aren't the future of the church, they're the present. Um, and so uh, we want them to be here. And um, you know what's really interesting um it's okay you know you sit there and you say sometimes we say well my kids they don't want to be in the adult service because they're bored um it's okay for them to be bored it really is i learn a lot when i'm bored um and and i'm bored all the time so your kid's not alone but um but it's it's okay to be in something that maybe you sit there and go i don't know if this is really for me because um that's how we rise to the challenges of life as we are in situations that are maybe a little above us. But I want to invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. Um, we are we're studying Jesus's, what's called Jesus's high priestly prayer. Uh, and, um, and if you're, if you're going through the, the, um, the journal guide as the, during this season as we're moving toward Resurrection Sunday, um, we have a, a daily um, a prayer journal, prayer guide with some uh, thoughts about these passages and, and questions and challenges for us. And there's paper copies left. There's a few paper copies left. Um, it's also available online. Um, but um, we're, we're journeying through this. And last week, um, <clears throat> we took some time to look at uh, what Jesus says at the beginning. And he, he, um, he, he's really acknowledging the extraordinary reality of um, his relationship with, Christ, with God. And if Jesus can be in proper submission to God and, and, and finding his place with God, then we can too. Um, and he gives us a model, excuse me, for us to live uh, in our world. But in chapter in chapter one, chapter seventeen, and verse six, as Jesus continues, he sets up um, a series of a series of, of points that, if you're you're not careful, it seems to just kind of blend into one statement. He says in verse six, "I have manifested your name." to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now he is talking about the disciples directly, but the church um, indirectly. And again, remember that John is writing to the second and third generation of believers, people that didn't walk with Jesus People who have been, um, who have, some of whom have grown up in the church, others who were drawn to the church um, for various and assorted reasons. And as they are, as he's talking with them, and, and as Jesus is praying, he identifies them this way in the end of that verse: "Yours they were, and you gave them to me, 
and they have kept your word. Now, without getting any deeper into the scriptures, just think about what Jesus is saying about you. Think about what Jesus is saying about you. He is saying you belong to God the Father. And God the Father gave you to him. Now, that means that you, you, follower of Christ, Christian, you were the Father's gift to the Son. And if your earthly father would not give a bad gift to his children, would your heavenly father do that? And so despite all of our brokenness and our flaws and our issues and problems and all of those things, God rejoiced to give you to Christ. For him to care for you and take care of you. And you can take that and you can do whatever you want with it. In verse 7, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus prays for you. Think about that for a moment. Let that sit in your head. Jesus prays for you. Elsewhere, John will say that he is our intercessor, that he is before the throne of God, speaking for us, defending us, his grace covering us, that the wrath of God that was poured out on Christ in the, in the crucifixion that we remember in the Lord's table, Jesus took that upon himself and now he stands in our place arguing that we um, are covered by the grace of his love. And Jesus prays for you. Therefore, when you pray, you are joining your voice with the voice of Christ in prayer for others. You're not on your own. You're not praying hoping to persuade God if I shout enough, if I repeat myself enough, if I speak in proper King James English, maybe God will hear me. You're joining your voice with Christ praying for others. I have verse 8, verse 10. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Now this is where I'm actually going. Those are two other sermons. You can run with those. You can have those. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I've guarded them 
Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. He's talking about Judas Iscariot, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified or consecrated. It's the same word, in truth. As you read through this passage, as we go through it, and, and, and as you look at it, and I encourage you to continue to look at the passage as we're, we're talking about it, I want you to see the contrast of the way that Jesus describes the world and the way that he describes the word. The words, I have spoken, all of those things. Now, John uses the world three basic ways. These aren't the only ways he uses them, but usually in John's gospel, he uses them one of three ways. Either he's describing the world as in the world, that's easy, all right, as in everybody here, all these people living in the world, the population of the world, straightforward. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that's what he's talking about. But then John will also sometimes use the world to describe um, the the attractions of sin in the world. All right, the 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 peer pressure, the um, the uh, s- consumer mentality, the the self-centered mentality of the world that that we are attracted to um, this the things that that our world says are um, are, uh, are are important. Um, I have no idea why, but I encountered a, a, a conversation online where someone asked um, if uh, they were, it was uh, on a financial forum of some kind, they asked whether it was normal for someone to have a $1,000 a month car payment. And I, I, I paused and I was like, is it? Because that's not what I, my car payment is. Um, and, and and I started to think about how sometimes we will mortgage the farm to have the the greatest possible thing or doodad or gadget or whatever because the world says that's that's what describes success. Now, if you can afford the nicest doodad bracket, whatever, cool. But if you can't afford it and you're acquiring it to give people the impression that you can afford it. Uh, First of all, you're going to sink into debt because you can never keep up with people's expectations. But secondly, um, you've allowed the world, the pressure of the people around you to tell you what success is, right? But there's a third way that John uses the world. He uses it to describe the world system. Um, In his day, it was Rome. Um, and Rome kind of stands in for a, a kingdom in opposition to the kingdom of God. Uh, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, it's Babylon and Egypt. They stand in as a kingdom in opposition to God. Um, they're they're a, a metonymy. 
um, a, a figure of speech. It's, it's this idea that you take one thing and you let it stand in for another. And if you read uh, John's, uh, the, the Revelation, which is uh, one, of, one of the writings of the same John, uh, John describes this world system. Um, and years ago, I, I, we, we looked at, at the, the book of the Revelation, and, and I described the book of the Revelation this way, that, and I stole it from somebody. Um, so, but, you know, if it's, if it's in print and you're making money off of it, it's plagiarism. If it's preaching, it's just good sources. Um, but uh, the way that it was described as uh, the, the Revelation is about the new Jerusalem emerging from the ashes of old Babylon. That, that the world system, the book of Revelation is about the world system's final fall and the rise of God's kingdom out of the ashes. And, and John's theology is built around this idea that there is this world system, this antichrist system, this, this, um, this world that, that is pressing and crushing on the church and trying to interfere in it and trying to interject into our families and our lives and, and that it is intentional and it is malicious and it is in competition with the calling of Christ. And you need to understand there is a very real evil force in the world. Evil is not just about people being bad. All right? Evil is not just, well, you know, some people are just rotten eggs. There is a malicious evil force in the world. That's why Jesus says, I pray that you keep them from the evil one. There is, in the scriptures, uh, a, a being that is variously called Satan, the devil, uh, the accuser, my favorite, that old dragon. I love that one. Um, but uh, he is, his entire mission in his, whatever his existence is, his whole purpose is to bring down the kingdom of God. He, he wants to destroy it. And he's not interested in actually dethroning God out of heaven. He knows that he can't do that. All he wants to do is dethrone God in the church and your family and your life. He just wants you to put somebody else on the throne of your life. That's enough evil for him. If you enthrone yourself on your, in your life, on the throne that God belongs in, you will go ahead and do what he wants you to do, this evil one. If you put yourself above all the other people in your life, you put your own consumption, your own desires, that's, that's all he wants. He doesn't need to draw you. When I was a kid, when I was growing up in fundamentalist Baptist circles, it was a big thing about um, making sure we were protected from all that evil satanic music that was out there. The irony was, I found out about most of the evil satanic music in the seminars when people came to our church and told us about the evil satanic music we should not listen to. I had no idea who Ozzy Osbourne was, Black Sabbath, uh, Iron Maiden, you know, go down the list of all the evil, most worthless, terrible musicians, you know, uh, great musicians, but they were, you know, Alice Cooper, which I think is so funny because Alice Cooper actually plays golf with Dan Quayle and is like a conservative evangelical Christian that just makes me laugh. Um, he, he really legitimately is. And, um, and, and, you know, we look at all these people and, and they're like, oh my goodness, they're going to take you. And my favorite, my absolute favorite, I don't know if any of you, if you didn't grow up in my 
world, you may not have grown up in my world, where they, they talked about how there were backmasked messages on these records. If you've ever, you've ever encountered this, it was the argument that these, these musicians were intentionally trying to bring little Christian kids like me into the kingdom of Satan by putting statements like, you know, Satan wants to love you, Satan loves you and, and to, you know, murder your parents and all this stuff encoded backwards on an album. I never thought of playing an album backwards until they told me that. Then I was like, I'm grabbing all the records I can find to see if there's a message encoded. I'm like, I'm like, I mean, why would you encode it on something like Ozzy Osbourne? Wouldn't it make more sense to encode that on like the soundtrack of Annie or something? Like real deceptive places? Like, I mean, Ozzy's advertising who he is. I mean, we gotta bury this deep, you know? Put that on like a Perry Cuomo album. That's what you want to put that in. Uh, and you know, and there was all these, all these arguments about this. And, and all these discussions, I wasn't aware that, you know, the, the music scene was out to turn me into a Satanist. I didn't know that that was going on. Um, and, and you know what? I, I got to be honest with you. I think, I think Satan's a lot better at this than that. He, he doesn't need you to be, you know, the, the, one of the big ones was, is like, you play Dungeons and Dragons, you're going to murder your parents. I was actually told this in a seminar one time. Like Dungeons and Dragons, the road down to killing your parents. I'm like, what? Now I don't play Dungeons and Dragons because as a kid, as a kid, I was convinced I was not a nerd. As an adult, I figured out I am. Um, but I'm like, no, I'm not hanging out with those guys. I'm gonna go play football. I'm gonna go wrestle, do all this stuff, right? But but um, and there were these these look, the influence of Satan is much better at drawing you off than being like that. He doesn't use a sledgehammer. He uses a wedge. He just kind of slides it in a little bit. Gets you to compare your wife to someone else. Gets you to envy uh, that person's car, that person's house. Gets you to get you to just, just you know, yeah, you know what? It's okay if you slap them around a little bit. Kids deserve it. Gets you to start doing something, drawing you slowly in. He's okay with that. Because any dethronement of God is enough for him. And so Jesus says, his disciples, he says, they're in the world, but they're not of the world. Now, people sometimes, they hear that statement, they say, it's not in the Bible. Be in the world, but not of the world. I would contend that Jesus is making that exact point right here. That we as followers of Christ, look, and in uh, verse 13, I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. In the world, right? He's speaking into the world we live in, all right? Because he knows that world is controlled by an evil malicious force. Um, The apostle Paul will refer to Satan as the God of this world with a lower G. The prince of the powers of air, of the air. He says, he says to him, look, I'm going to speak into the world. I'm going to put my word into the world because that's what the, my people need. They need to hear the words. Jesus says, the words that you gave me. He's talking to the Father. He's praying. He said, they need to hear from you. And so I put my word out into the world that they might hear from their God and Creator. That they might know, that they might be anchored. He says in verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. 
Now, you and I may not realize just how awesome that statement is. Because what Jesus is saying, he's saying, God, he's talking to the Father, and he says, Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world because there are others that need to hear. If I take, if you take them out of the world, if you take all the Christians, you take all the believers out of the world, think of all of your people who will never hear your words. And so I have to leave them here. I, it breaks my heart to see them have to fight against this world system. I, I have to leave them here so that they can speak, so they can change um, the, the, the lives of people who are living in this world. So that they can speak against the powers of this world. And I know what that means. I know what that means. Jesus knows that what that means is that some of those that are left in the world will fall away. Some will be attracted by the powers of this world. I'm not going to get into the theology of it and, you know, there's a whole debate over how God saves and all this stuff. I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is Jesus knew that to leave us, the church, in the world with his word meant that we were going to have to engage in a spiritual battle with the powers of this world. And so he says, right? So he says, verse, verse 17, so sanctify them. He says, keep them from the evil one. And the way that he secures us from the evil one is to sanctify us. To literally holify us. To set us apart. To make us different. There are two ways you can talk about holiness in the Bible. Uh, the one is that there's an innate holiness to something. For example, God is holy. God is not made holy. God didn't like, you know, have another God make him holy. He's just holy by his nature. He's separate. The more common way that we talk about holiness is when God takes something made of the materials of this world and he says, this is mine, set it apart. This is mine, set it apart. And he says, you, God, Jesus says to the Father, he says, Father, sanctify them. Set them apart. Make them different. Help them to understand that they are different. Now, I think this works on a lot of levels. I think one of the places it works, Christians, one of the places it works is that when you're, you're with the powers of the world and you are tempted to follow the passions of this world, you've got this thing we all call a conscience, right? Not Jiminy Cricket, but a real conscience, you know? Uh, and, and your conscience is telling you that's not a good idea, that doesn't bring glory to Christ, and you're like, shut up, conscience, I've got things to do. These people will think I'm a nerd if I don't follow along with them. That little thing, that is God speaking. That's the Holy Spirit working. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
Do you really believe that? As a follower of Christ, do you truly believe that the Word of God is truth? It is so important that we understand that it is Word of God, Spirit of God, people of God in that order. It, it, is not, it is not, well, I, I look to the people of God, you know, the church, or I look for some kind of spiritual impression about whether something is right or wrong, and then I check the Bible to make sure it's got a statement that aligns with what I said, which is how so many people work things. It also doesn't mean that we get little snippets of the Bible, little, little uh, Christian magic spells that we can pronounce over, over issues and say, well, I just claimed this verse. It is the word of God that is truth. It is the words of God that is truth. You say, how do I resist temptation in the world? Well, God gave us his word. Ah, that's too much work. Understanding the Bible is going to take way too much of an investment for me. Can't you just give me some magic dust or something? I know the answer. I'll just get baptized again. That's not going to work. You know, oh, well, if I just go to church, the word will just absorb via osmosis. Eric's much better at reading the Bible than I am, so I'll just let him read it for me. I would remind you that you don't let other people chew your food for you. Right? It's fine and great to come to church. It's good. It's commanded by God that we gather together and we worship together and we study the scriptures together. But my job is not to spoon feed you the word of God and tell you this is all you need for today. My job as the, the teaching pastor is to interject into you the requirement, the demand that as a follower of Christ, you need to be studying the word of God. You need to be bringing it into your heart and your mind and your thinking. You need to be understanding and comprehending and questioning and doubting and fearing and being confused and being convicted. And you need to be challenged by the word of God and changing your life and your world. And, and the thing is that when you're willing to do that, that God takes that and he makes it into your holiness. You become of a different material. You become uh, something out of this world, still in this world. You say, well, I don't want people to think I'm a weirdo. I don't want, you to, I don't want people to think that I'm a religious person. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're here on a Sunday morning, they already think that about you. Because the vast majority of your neighbors are at home, the vast majority of your neighbors are, did, looked at the snow and went, you know, even if they normally go to church, the fact that it snowed yesterday was enough. They already think you're a little odd that you even own a Bible that you've opened in the last five years. They already think you're a little weird that you from time to time get emails from a church. They already think you're a little odd so why not embrace it and just accept that you are a little different? You as a follower of Christ, you are peculiar. That's what the Bible describes us as. We are a peculiar people. We're a little bit different. 
We're a little bit odd, but we're not different and odd because of our religion. We're different and odd because our God changes who we are. And the word living in the world is at war with the God of that world. There is a tension that will always exist between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. It will never be resolved until the king comes and judges the quick and the dead. We will always be a little uncomfortable if we identify with Christ. We will always look a little different. We will always sound a little odd. We will always make choices that the rest of the world thinks are a little weird. And the incredible thing is, the reason that we are like that is because the very creator of the world gave us to his son. And his son filled our lives with the words of God. And we, the reason we look different from the rest of this world is not because we are made of something less, but because we are a part of something more. We are invited as Christians to partake in the true reality of creation. To truly participate in the presence of the God who created this world. And all too often, what we try to do instead is try to package that eternal kingdom in something that the world will be okay with. We, we try to say, well, you know, if we could just squeeze it down a little bit so everybody would be okay. It's like trying to make an MRI into a pill. It's like trying to squeeze the infinite into our pockets. Now, I'm not saying go out of your way to be a nut job. And say, Pastor gave us permission to proudly pronounce conspiracy theories that haven't been fact checked on the social media. Please do not do that. That is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is our identification with Christ. Get into the Word. Be sanctified by the Father and stand with Christ. You say, okay, give us a program that will help us do that. No. These early believers did not come to Christ and then go, okay guys, what we really need is some slick graphics, some cool celebrity endorsements, and the world will follow us. We are so comfortable 
in modern Christianity. It is so easy to just go with the flow. It is so easy to find some source or program that we don't have to do the hard work. Somebody's already done it for us. To follow Christ is hard work. To love your spouse as Christ loves the church is hard work. How many of you have ever done something absolutely extraordinary for your spouse and then followed it up with something really, really stupid? Ask my wife. She'll tell you. How many of us have have made huge breakthroughs in our relationships only to blow it right away, right after it? How many of us have, we've finally come to peace with some situation that God has put us in, we're finally all right with it, and then the world throws us a curveball? We need to do the hard work of getting back into the Word, allowing God to sanctify us. We also need to do the hard work of helping others do the same. Pointing them to the world, not our uh, to the word, not our opinions. One of the reasons I struggle so much with doing counseling is the problem that most of the time when people are coming looking for counseling, what they're really looking for is somebody to agree with them. I'm not known for agreeing with people. I'm known for being sometimes brutally honest when it comes to the scriptures. And, and so often what people want, they want, I just need, I need some counsel. Let me give you only half of the story so you can make a decision based on 50% of the information. And when I say something like, well, we should talk to this other person. No, 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 that's not necessary. I've told you everything they did. You know, I'm like, well, we should really, it's funny that second appointment never happens. We are called to be holy in a world ruled by evil. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we don't like to think about the evil that surrounds us. Sometimes we've got our hands full with the evil that lurks in our minds. Father, we're in a very real battle. And Jesus gave us your words, and we need your work to sanctify us, to keep us, to keep us true, to keep us real, to keep us weird to hear your voice, to share the words and the gospel with those who need to hear them. We don't like to not be of this world. The dust that we're made of screams out to be accepted, to be happy, to be successful. But Father, we believe 
words of Jesus. We believe that this is a reality, what he prays. If we will only accept it, step in and believe and accept your word. Jesus, we are your church, broken and marred as we are, striving to be your kingdom and invite others to see you as our king. Help us to identify with you so that others look at us and see you. Help us to be honest when we fail, to correct what needs to be corrected, to stand where we need to stand, to move where we need to move. And Holy Spirit, give us life. Because without you, we can't do this. Speak through your words to us. Speak through your voice in our hearts and minds. Speak through your people that we might be in this world and not of it. We pray this, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Um, I want to let you know about a couple of things. The announcements are all in the bulletin. There's just one real big